Welcome back, everybody, to the Prescribed Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Jamal Bandy, the one who seeks to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today, also a part of the Christian podcast community. And I would like to say, oh, how humbled I am and how grateful I am to be considered the one of the top podcasts in the Christian community. Praise God. Thank you for all those who voted. And what I've been hearing is that my my podcast was actually number one of top podcasts in 2019. Man, praise the Lord, man. I'm super excited about that and humbled, man. I, I had no idea. I was a little confused about the, the results because <laughs> there's a category for best Christian podcast and then you have the top podcast. And so when I saw the best Christian podcast being Revived Thoughts, I was like, dang, that's what's up, Revived Thoughts. I've been wanting to check their podcast out for a minute, and I advise you guys to check their out. But then when it came to the top podcast, that was like 10 listed, I saw Mazda number one. And I'm like, what? And I was like, well, that must have been like, a, you know, they just put some stuff randomly in order. <laughs> but then I get these messages in these um and uh, these comments on Facebook and these posts, like, congratulations, Jamal, top podcast, A, B, and C. And I'm like, whoa, I was excited. That was that was crazy. So thank you so much to Striving for Eternity and the Christian podcast community for your encouragement and support as I do this podcast and continue to put out content for you guys. And thank you for all those who listen, the downloads and, and everything, man. Like, wow. I, you know, I just started really getting serious into podcasting in 2019 and you know, just trying to be consistent with everything. And so I really do appreciate you guys. And, and thank you for those who just listen to an episode and it really impact you or made you think a little bit. And even as you saw how I thought, um, went through my thought process, that was really encouraging. So once again, thank you to all those who listen. I know I had to take some time in my intro to give a little thought to that. And so I'm still humbled by it. It's still blown, blown away by it, man. You know, to be, to be up there with just thinking, are you serious? So with that being said, I am greatly honored by that. And thank you once again to all those who support Prescribed Truth. On this episode, I want to get into a topic that's a that's basically a spinoff from when I was doing the series on divorce, whether or not Christians should divorce their spouses. I hope you had a chance to listen to that and um, give your feedback and all those things. So thankful to the Christian podcast community. We did a, a episode of the Theology Throwdown where we talked about divorce and remarriage. I would encourage you guys to take a listen to that. Uh, we had a few different podcasters on there and chiming in on this subject. And I think you'll be greatly edified by the conversation. So I would encourage you to check that out on the Christian Podcast Community site. So if you've already subscribed to Christian Podcast Community, you would already see that. Mm-hmm. All right. So with this spinoff, we're talking about being unequally yoked. So this is more, most likely geared to my single people. I don't want to leave you out. Um, I want to try to caution you and also encourage you to be careful, to be careful with something that we should already know. But as life shows us and examples of plenty of people have taught us that though the scriptures give us a clear directive, we don't follow it. 
including myself. And so when it comes to this particular subject, um, I do want to be very easy on it and I want to approach it lightly, you know, and, and I want to approach it with some consideration to those who are currently dealing with things in this regard of being unequally yoked. And we're talking about being unequally yoked with unbelievers when it comes to dating, when it comes to dating and preparing for marriage. Guys, I, I don't know if you really think about it. Like when you get married, you enter into a covenant with another individual, a whole other individual you get into a covenant with. And let me be clear. We're talking about an individual of the opposite sex because we know same sex union isn't truly marriage. It's not. And so talking about of the opposite sex, you're entering into a covenant. Men. You're entering into a covenant with this woman, women, you're entering a covenant with this man. And it's imperative that you guys enter in this covenant with the same goals in mind, with the same mind being unified. Because when you become married, the two become one. So it's important that you both have this in mind of what you want, what you want, where you going now. There's a text in Amos that tells us that can two people walk together except they be agreed? And it's not. It's not really a question. It's, it's like, a, it's like a, a rhetorical question. Like, you know better. You know better that two people can't go, can't really walk together if they're not agreed on where they're going. You can't have one person saying they want to go down the street and another person saying they want to go back up the street. And yet they be walking together when they both go in different directions. It doesn't work. They're no longer walking together. They're just walking. <laughs> hmm. And that's how a lot of marriages are where you have a couple who are unequally yoked. They're going in two different directions, yet they're married. They're just married. That's just it. it they, it's just the marriage, but it's, it's not unified. Now, so when we talk about being unequally yoked with unbelievers, I want to come from the text. And I think it'd be something very interesting to draw out from this text for you guys. So, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, in the King James, it says unequally yoked. I think other translations may say, may say unequally yoked and so on and so forth. But yeah, so in the NASB, which is I'm reading from, it says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, given this context and given the word that's being used for being bound together, um, I've, I just as I was looking into this, I'm like, whoa, like this is probably most likely dealing with sexual relationships. So get into actual, you know, men and women relationships that Paul is addressing here. You can but you can take this in any regard. I mean, relationships in general are tough when you're dealing with a believer versus a non-believer. They're tough, no matter if it's a friendship you know, or even even the worker and work relation, a worker and a boss relationship. You know, it can be difficult. Not as intimate though as a husband and wife, because as we should know, that the closest person, the closest person that you ever have to you, will be your spouse. Will be your spouse, and so that's the one that's going to be tried the most in this kind of diverse relationship when there's one who's unequal or they're not equal. All right. So I hope that makes sense. Not trying to ramble too much. Sorry. But yes. So the text says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. And so this is very clear. This is not talking about a 
a believer being who's on a one, on a particular level with another believer who's on another type of level. Like, no, like he's just talking about the caution between being with a unbeliever. And then he gives his contrast, which these contrasts make perfect sense. He says, what for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? There is none. Like you can't have righteousness while being lawless at the same time. There's no there's no there's no there's no such thing. There's no such thing as righteous lawlessness. That's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. But then he says, or what fellowship has light with darkness? There is no fellowship. Like that's the answer to the question, to both those questions. There is none. There is no fellowship between light and darkness because where there's light present, the darkness goes away. And where there's darkness presence, there's absence of light, not a glimmer of light, not a piece of light, but absence of light. And then there's where there's righteousness, then there's no lawlessness, not some lawlessness, not a bit of lawlessness. But no, there's no lawlessness in righteousness and vice versa. You can't be lawless and then be righteous. There's no fellowship. There's no partnership. But then he goes on in verse 15. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? What harmony, he says. Is it the fact that Christ doesn't have knowledge of Belial and Belial have knowledge of Christ? No, there's knowledge. They acknowledge each other. They know they exist. But he says, what harmony is there? Then he goes on and makes it clear. Like he brings it back to what he initially said. And then he says, or what harmony has Christ with the Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Well, we got the same shoes. We wear the same, we wear the same name brand shoes that we have that in common. So we're not, and I hate to say it like that. It's like, I'm trying to be a, you know, a smart aleck about it, but it's like, like, we know we're not talking about just in general. Common. I know somebody said, well, you can have things in common with unbelievers all the time. Like, no, this is not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about the fact that you may have clothing. <laughs> like we have that in common. We wear clothes. <laughs> He's not talking about that He's about in life, in the direction you're going. What do you have in common with an unbeliever as a believer? What do you have in common? Then he says, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, guys, think, think about this. If you're dealing with someone who's not a Christian, period, then they're an idolater, period. There's no, well, they're not a Christian, but they're not really an idolater either. Like, no, if they're not worshiping Christ, they're worshiping something else or someone else. And therefore they are an idolater. Yeah, it's, it, it's true. That goes for our loved ones, that goes for our children, that goes for everyone. If they are not looking to Christ, if they aren't seeking Christ, they're trusting in something else and therefore they're idolaters. So he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? The answer is none. There's no agreement between God and idols. Then he says, for we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. And I love how he draws this in, guys. He says, for we are the temple of the living God. Yo, can you hear the implications in that? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? Then he says, for we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And that's the end of the chapter. But look at this connection that Paul makes, this implication. We are the temple of the living God. So what, guys, what agreement do a, does a believer 
who is the who is the temple of God, right? Who's a part of the temple of God? Who's part of the body of Christ? We are the temple of God. And he says, "What agreement do we have with idols? You don't. You don't have an agreement with idols. So once again, what do you have in common with the unbeliever? Let's go back. Verse fourteen. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, guys. This wasn't. This wasn't uh, descriptive. This was prescriptive. Do not be bound together. That's an imperative. But then he gives a reason. He gives. He spends the next couple of verses giving the reason for what he's saying." Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, <clears throat> when I was looking at this, this Greek word, and I may butcher this Greek word. I know I may do it. <laughs> but I thought it was such an interesting Greek word that I just, I want to learn how to say it. And it says, hetera zegeo, hetera zegeo. That sounds cool. And that's the Greek for bound together. And it's interesting that when I was looking up this word, it gives me the definition being to come under an unequal or different yoke, to be unequally yoked. <laughs> then it goes on to a definition, says to have fellowship with one who is not an equal. Where, and then he says, and they give, they give a reference to 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and it says where the apostle is forbidding Christians to have intercourse with idolaters. And so this is interesting. I'm thinking about this as being relational, like, you know, don't want to be bound together with anyone. Like, I don't want to be bound in a covenant with anyone who's an unbeliever. So that goes into the marital context, right? It also can go into being friends and everything else. But you know that we deal with the world, right? Like we talk to people on our jobs who are unbelievers and we get along and A, B, and C and our family members and so on and so forth. But we gotta be, we gotta remember that we're not bound to them in the way that this text is talking about. I thought it was interesting. Like when I have a coworker who I get along with, I'm not bound to them as what Paul is saying about being bound with unbelievers, but I am bound to my wife in covenant. I've laid with my wife in covenant. This is what he's talking about. And I thought it was interesting. It says to come under an unequal or different yoke. So it's interesting. So it's like, like you and the unbeliever, you're yoked differently. So then you think about cattle who's yoked together to, to drive the cart or to pull the cart or the wagon or whatever it is they're pulling. If they're on different yokes, it's hard. They can't go. You know what I'm saying? But if they're on equal yokes, if they're equally yoked, then it's a smooth ride. So that's interesting. Different yokes. But then I looked at this uh, Strong's definition. It says to yoke up differently, to associate discordantly, unequally yoked together with. And from there, in the Thayer, it says yoked with a different yoke. But then it said used in Leviticus 19.19 of the union of beasts of different kinds. Example being an ox and a donkey. Now, you say, Jamal, why is that so interesting? Well, in Leviticus 19.19, the text where it's talking about is actually talking about, you know, different beasts. Not breeding different kinds of animals together. Not trying to basically not trying to breed a dog with a cat. And so in the, in the Septuagint, in the Greek... That word for for being for breeding together and then like gendering together and so on and so forth, that word is heterazugeo. And I thought that was very interesting. It is talking about intercourse here, but it is. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. And so, so then Jamal, why are you talking about dating? Because I'm I'm dating them. I'm not sleeping with them. I'm just we're just talking. We're getting to know one another. My brother, my sister. Though you may give yourself that excuse, 
And I and I'm saying that very lightly because I've done it too. Guys, girls, you are you are pursuing a spouse. If you're a believer, you're not you're not trying to test drive the cars to see which one fits better. You're pursuing a spouse. You have your eyes fixated on someone to be yoked with you for the rest of your life. That's what you're doing when you're dating. You should not. And I hope you're not going into the dating scene like, oh, well, let me try this one out and see how this works. And then if that don't work, I'm going to try this one over here out. Then if that don't work, I'm going to try that one over here out. I hope you're not going about it that way. Please don't go about it that way. You are playing with fire, playing with fire. So prayerfully, the one that you have your eyes on, men, the woman that you sought out, that you looked at and you said, man, I want to spend my life with her. I want to get to know her because I'm pursuing a wife. The very first thing that should be on your mind, does she love the Lord? Not that she not that she professes it, not that she just goes to church on Sundays or every other Sunday or on holidays. Do she love the Lord? And if your answer is, well, I don't know, then you may want to put the brakes on that guy. And if your answer is, well, no, well, she well, she's not a Christian, but no, walk away. Don't don't collect two thousand pass. Go just don't don't. What happens more often than not is that. Brothers, and I say this with brothers because I, I don't know a lot of sisters who do this, but I know my brothers are guilty of this. We will see a woman and we'll get along with her. She's pretty. She's fine and everything. She got a good head on her shoulder. She's smart, witty, you know what I'm saying, classy, or whatever case may be, whatever it is you like about her, makes you laugh and all of that. Then you find out after all of that bells and whistles that you've bought into, you found out that she does not love the Lord. Oh, she affirms gay marriage. Oh, she's actually pro. She's actually pro choice. Oh, guess what? Guess what? She ain't coming to your church. Guess what? She don't want to read your Bible. Not that any of those things makes a person Christian in and of itself, but the things that the love the Lord loves, she hates. You find that out. And then you make excuses. You make excuses for her and you say, well, she can change or well, I can evangelize. And we call that dating evangelism, which doesn't work. It doesn't work. Guys, that should be the first thing. The first thing. Yeah, she may make you laugh. Yeah, she's pretty. Yeah, y'all get along fine. Okay, be cool with her. Take a step back. Put some brakes on that guy. Share the gospel with her. Share the gospel with her, but don't get caught in because you're going to make excuses for her. Women, I don't know a lot of women do women who do this, like 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 women who are who love the Lord and know that I'm just guys. Think about this, man. A woman who knows the Lord and understands the role that a husband will play in her life, she's not going to find just some some just some any guy to do that. She's going to make sure he got his ducks in the row. She's going to make sure that he can lead. Because that's what she's going to need. No, that rhymed. That's what she's going to need. This man will be the leader of her home, of her family, of her children. She's going to want a man, but a man whose heart is after the Lord. She's going to need that. She's going to want that. And she is not going to settle because she's supposed to submit under that authority. Think about this, guys. (laughs) Think about this, man. Would you work for a boss that you knew was going to run the company down the drain? Would you go and submit up under someone's leadership that you know they're going to lead you to death? 
No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Because you know once you submit it to that leadership, you go, you're having to follow that leadership. And you're going you're gonna to follow it through. Because you're loyal. You're gonna, you want to obey the Lord. That's, that's where our women are at, man. They're looking for men to lead. Praise God for that. Praise God. But men, you should be looking for a woman who's submissive to the Lord. Because guess what, guys? Newsflash. If she ain't submissive to the Lord, she will not be submissive to you. I guarantee you that. Guys, even on a practical level, and I could make a series out of this. I may cut this out. I may do another episode on this if, you know, if people respond to it well enough. Like, think about it. In life, in marriage, in a marriage where there's a man and a woman having to make decisions for the family, having to make decisions on how to train up their children, how to make decisions when it comes to finances and what, what to do with what and their scheduling and everything. How does that look? When you have the conviction of the believer being the word of God and then the conviction of the unbeliever being their own heart. I'm going to say this and I may I may close out here because I think this is enough to start for this particular episode. But think about this. You do something wrong to your spouse as a believer. The word of God convicts you. The Holy Spirit convicts you. And it's not because your spouse made you happy. It's not because your spouse is uh, doing anything particularly special, but because you love the Lord, you're going to go make it right. You're going to make amends and reconcile. But the unbeliever doesn't have that conviction. Their conviction is whether or not they think you're worthy of that. Yeah, I did you wrong, but shoot, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care how you feel right now. It doesn't matter. Why? Why they feel that way? Why does it happen? Because their conviction is not coming from the Lord. It's coming from their own sinful, wicked, prideful hearts. That's why. And you're talking about a lifelong commitment to loving this individual who does not love the Lord and therefore can't love you. And you're willing to risk that because they make you laugh. You're willing to risk that because they make you smile. You're willing to risk that because you get along risk of being disobedient to the Lord, diso blatantly disobeying the word, telling you clearly, don't be unequally yoked. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. And you tell God, God, I think I can handle it. No, sir. No, ma'am. If this is you, please reconsider. I know it'd be hard. I know it'd be hard, but your love for the Lord should be far more greater the inner relationship that you have in this world. That's what Jesus said himself. You're willing to hate mother, father, children, spouse for his sake, for his sake. I know our culture says different, but as the slogan says, this world is full of errors. But the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. And we always say, imagine going back in time. If you're new to the show, that's something you're going to hear a lot. If you like today's episode, check out our website at revivethoughts.com. There you can find the transcript for this episode and all of our episodes here at Revive Thoughts. Life. Hit us up on revivethoughts at gmail.com, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We'd love to have you and get you started on the process of uh, doing some sermons with us. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts. Revive Thoughts.